Hello, my lovely people, and welcome to The Fletcher Files, a Murder, She Wrote podcast with your host, Monty. This week, we will be talking about Doom with a View. Season four, episode 11, first aired December 13th, 1987. And the IMDb summary reads, Jessica and her nephew get more than they expect while staying at a posh New York hotel managed by Grady's old fraternity buddy. Yeah, it's a Grady episode. (laughs) Get ready to be secondhand embarrassed. Um, No, it's fine. Uh, Let's get into the trivia. Returners characters and into this episode the may december relationship of it all okay the sugar mama of it all let's let's get into this so this week's piece of trivia is that janet lee also known as jamie lee curtis's mother yes uh and also the shining star of psycho yeah was in The Manchurian Candidate with Angela Lansbury. So that was the last time that they worked together was in that movie. Now let's get into, I think that may have been the only time they worked together until this, but I like uh, six degrees of Angela Lansbury piece of information, right? (laughs) Now we have three returners. First, we have Robert DiSiderio, and we will recognize him as Roger Adiano from Murder by Appointment Only, Season 2, Episode 12. Now, he was Liz, the Lady of the Night, who was now no longer a working girl, but was getting, was married, right? We're getting married? No, married to the brother of Lila Lee from the Lila Lee ladies and the cosmetic company that made hundreds of that tens of millions of dollars the year before. Yeah. He was the broke actor that Liz really loved and was seeing on the side while she was married to, um, her husband. I forget his name, but The crazy thing is, I just saw that episode again today. So flashback. Also, a Grady episode. Okay. (laughs) So in this episode, he plays Mark Havlin. Our next returner is Jennifer Holmes. And we will recognize her as Reagan Miller from Murder in a Minor Key, Season 3, Episode 14. I have no idea who she was. (laughs) Sorry. But in this episode, she plays Sandra Clemens. And this is her last episode of Murder, She Wrote. And last but not least, we have Monty. Hey, Markham. And we will recognize him as Ned Olson from If a Body Meet a Body, season two, episode 18. Now, he was the insurance invest investment broker that was partnered with the man who faked his death. 
Okay, and the man who faked his death had stolen a million dollars from the people of Cabot Cove and left Ned Olson holding the proverbial bag. Okay, yeah. And her and his daughter was dating the blueberry picker grower uh seller situation <laughs> who dropped out of Harvard Business School. Yeah, go back and listen to that episode. I really went in on the blueberry picker guy. Why? We're not going to get into that again. Um, So you kind of felt sorry for him. But in this episode, you definitely don't. Okay. He plays Inspector Donald Matheny. He's not great. He's a great actor. I don't, that's not what I mean. He is a jerk in this episode. So there is that. Now let's get into the cast and the episode. So we have Garrett Harper. Cornelia Montaigne Harper, Nettie Harper, Sandra Clemens, Mark Havlin, Inspector Donald Matheny, Hotel Detective Fritz Rice, and of course, Grady, and of course, Jessica. Now, a bit of a side note, and also not trivia, but also a fun fact that Nettie Harper is played by Charlotte Ray. And when I tell you, this is perfect casting for this, for Garrett. They also call him Gary. So Garrett and Gary are the same person, but there's also Grady. So I'm going to be calling Garrett, Garrett. I won't be referring to him as Gary, okay? <laughs> Because it's too close to Grady, okay? (laughs) But Charlotte Ray, a.k.a. Nettie uh, Harper, is just amazing because she is the mother of Garrett. Now, Garrett was a regular guy. They weren't rich or anything like that. But Nettie has taken on the persona as if her son was the rich one, the wealthy one who's, and she's just a kept mother. And she falls into this role so easily and she eats it up. And I love it because it's just, it's just appropriate. Charlotte, you did your thing in this episode. You did your thing. And Janet Lee as Cornelia Montaigne Harper as the, you know, December of the May-December <laughs> relationship, the sugar mama of it all, she played it up perfectly as well. So two amazing actresses. And then, of course, we have Angela Lansbury. Uh, love this episode solely for those three. And Grady and Garrett do not bring it down. I have issues with Garrett, and we'll get into that as we get into the episode. So let's get into it. So we open up with, of course, beautiful shots of New York City. Jessica pulls up in a taxi and we see that there are two exterminator trucks. Well, actually, they're just regular box trucks, but they have sayonara (laughs) exterminators. Okay. And a picture of a roach on its back. I I'm assuming dead. And Jessica peeps the situation. She's like, uh, taxi man, can you please wait? Just 
don't leave. So she goes to walk into, walk up the stoop. And one of the exterminators who's outside is like, hey lady, you can't go in there. And she's like, excuse me? He's like, you don't want to go in there. And she brushes him off, which is surprising to me because it's Jessica. Anyway, so she then starts to walk up the stairs into the front of the building when Grady runs out with a suitcase um, and it's like, uh, Aunt Jessica, Jessica. Um, yeah, so long story short, there is a roach infestation in the building. So Jessica's like, uh, that's terrible. I was looking forward to staying with you. And Grady's like, yeah, not a problem. It just won't be here. Um, Jessica, I would be more concerned at the fact that his house is, his apartment is overrun by roaches. I appreciate that the issue was being handled expeditiously, which I, in my apartment building, it would be, it, it would be dealt with expeditiously, but I don't live in the city. Um, so this is surprising that, um, the landlord got on this as quickly as possible. But we then find out that they will be staying at the Montaigne Plaza because one of Grady's fraternity brothers and close friends married the hotel. And Jessica's like, excuse me? (laughs) So Grady says, you remember Garrett Harper, And Jessica's like, yeah, yeah, no, I do. He was, it had to be like eight years ago. He was in Cabot Cove, whatever, whatever. And Grady says, yes, well, he married Cornelia Montaigne. So Jessica's trying to calculate because she's met Garrett and Garrett is Grady's age because they were in college together and in the same fraternity. And he visited Cabot Cove And she knows that Cornelia Montaigne is a woman of a certain age, probably older than Jessica, to be honest, or at least her contemporary, like older sister age, if not aunt age, (laughs) I won't say mother age, but she's like, but how, why, how sway? And Jessica is like, I just really can't imagine Garrett with Cornelia Montaigne. And Grady's like, oh, trust me, they're like two lovebirds. Grady, I can't trust nothing you say because you are really unable to observe basic social cues, okay? (laughs) So yeah, Jessica's going to have to see this for herself, okay? So the next scene, we're at the hotel and Cornelia and Garrett are talking. Apparently, uh, Cornelia is upset at Garrett, who is the manager of the hotel or one of, one of. And he booked the countess in the wrong room. And Garrett is like, well, the room was empty. And Cornelia is like, yeah, because the sheik is checking in with his 150 wives at midnight. Like we cleared the entire floor because he has an entourage. Okay. (laughs) 
And he's like, oh, I didn't know that. She was like, you should really talk to me before making these decisions. But if he is the manager, okay, he should be able to make decisions like this. So y'all need to communicate. Like that should have been on the books. The fact is that that was on you, Cornelia, because you did all of this work to ensure that the sheik had the sufficient number of rooms that he needed and that the countess also had an appropriate room, right? But why didn't you mark out that room for the entire day? Yeah, like (laughs) it was empty because you did not put it into the system as blocked out. So it shouldn't have allowed him to book that room. So that is a failure on your part because if he's a manager, he should be able to manage and make these arrangements. Now, if you want to handle all your high level guests, you should have made that clear and he shouldn't have any uh, say so in that, that he'll know when high level guests, which are probably all of your guests to be absolutely honest, but when guests who would be placed on floor 30 and above are making um, reservations or their people are making reservations for them, then they all have to go through Cornelia. That should just be point blank, period. But you can't give him a job have him do his job and then get mad at him because you didn't communicate with him. And why would he ask you if that's his job? Why would he ask you, Hey, can I put the countess in this room? It's empty. So you need to be mad at yourself, but you're looking for a reason to be mad at him. Now, listen, I'm not on his side, but this is a severe lack of communication. And for Cornelia to be as powerful and successful as she is running this hotel, that basic communication seems like something that she should have mastered. So either he's just going to be your attractive side piece. Well, not side piece because they're married. Uh, Arm piece, I guess you would call that's the more appropriate term. (laughs) He's just supposed to look good and young and you know, y'all have fun at night or during the day. Do you girl? But either that's his role or you're giving him a job with responsibilities. He is a college graduate. Um, We don't know what he graduated college with, with degree, but he is a college graduate. He obviously has some level of intelligence. Um, So if you gave him a job, then let him do his job. If it's in name only, then have that conversation. Like, no, 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 that's just the title. So, but you're not actually supposed to work that. Make it make sense. Be clear. Use your words, Cornelia. Anyway, so Mark Havlin, who is also a manager, I don't know exactly what his role is. He's kind of like, Cornelia's personal assistant, but he seems to be the actual working hotel manager. Maybe he's supposed to train Garrett. You know, 
Anyway, so he's lurking in the background, as you'll notice he does a lot. And he's like, Cornelia, don't worry about it. I put the Countess on the 39th floor or the 32nd floor, whatever it was. I put her in a room already about an hour ago. And Cornelia is like, why didn't you tell me? Why would he tell you? Like, that's his job. Why is he running to, is he supposed to tell you? Oh my goodness, I went to the bathroom. Okay. Like I I went to the bathroom and I made sure to wash my hands. Like, what are we doing here? You're delegating for a reason. Okay. So Mark says, well, I can't let you know all the things that I do because then you'd have to pay me more. And so, which is, we'll get to that later, which, yeah, Cornelia, I'm looking at you a little sideways, a little, a little sideways. Anyway, so Garrett is already outside of this conversation mentally. And he sees Jessica and Grady checking in. So he's like, I'm sorry, I got to go and welcome my guest. And Cornelia makes a snide remark. And he goes off about his business to go and greet Jessica and Grady. So Grady and Garrett are legitimately excited to see each other. And you could see like when they hug each other, like it's legitimate. It's not like, you know, fake friends like, oh, hey, that's the right thing to do. Like they seem like legitimate friends, which makes things that happen later on even worse, right? Yes. So of course, Jessica remembers him and he remembers Jessica. And you can see that this is, again, it demonstrates that this is someone that was close to Grady and he and Grady allowed them into his life to meet his aunt not just in passing, but to actually stay with them in Cabot Cove. So Jessica is like, Grady, Grady, goodness, Garrett. (laughs) There's no way I can allow you to come our room. Like it's just the suite. It's just too much. And Garrett says, I've been waiting eight years to repay your hospitality, okay? So there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. This is on me. And not only that, we're having dinner tonight at 7 p.m. And mom will be there. And so both Jessica and Grady are like, uh, what? And so (laughs) without missing a beat, without missing a beat, Garrett says, oh, no, my actual mother, like she's going to be at dinner tonight. Cornelia has, she's a workaholic. She has a bunch of other things to do. So, you know, rumor has it that she took a night off once in 1965. And so they laugh and everything. But I'm sitting here like, so... You knew exactly what they were thinking that perhaps you referred to your wife as mom, which is like gross because clearly Cornelia, we are going to meet his mom, but we already know Charlotte Ray, but Cornelia is obviously older than his actual mother. So there's that there's levels to this, but 
everybody knows, like when he said that, he knew Jessica was like, uh, he called her mom? I can't. I can't. Because I promise you, if he was actually referring to Cornelia, that politeness be damned, they would have left. Like <laughs> Jessica would have been like, you know what? I got plenty money. My publisher stay out here. Um, I'm sure they could put us up in a hotel that's owned uh, or held by my publisher. Like it's not even a problem. Um, but what I won't do is uh, be a part of this where you were calling your wife, mom. What? No. Okay. <laughs> I'm already uncomfortable with this significant age difference, but beyond that, you, no, I can't. I can't. That I'm, mm that just don't sit right in my spirit. So thankfully he cleared it up because I would have had to throw the whole TV away if he really was referring to Cornelia. Gross. But Garrett brings up that Sandra Clemens is in town. And when she found out that Grady was going to be staying at the hotel, he was she was hoping that she could get an invitation to dinner. And so based on Grady's reaction and how we know Grady to be a lovesick person, um, he is just like, oh my gosh, Sandra Clemens. And Jessica's like, I don't know who that is. Like, I don't remember her. And Grady's like, you don't remember her? Homecoming, third cheerleader from the left. (laughs) Jessica's like... Here we go again, okay? (laughs) Mama Mia, here we go again, right? So so everyone's like, okay, yes, this this is going to be great. We'll see you tonight at dinner. So as they're speaking, actually, um, Cornelia and Mark come up and there is a meet and greet and... As Jessica and Grady are leaving this meet and greet, uh, Jessica comments that Cornelia seems, certainly seems overpowering. And Grady says, well, Garrett told me that she's still competing with her father who died 20 years ago. So they kind of just leave that there, right? We don't know anything about Cornelia, her struggle. Obviously the hotel was her father's. Like she didn't marry into this. She was born into it. So, you know, she is, the fact that she has it, we don't know if she had brothers. We don't know if she had to fight, you know, her entire life. We don't know her background to get us here, right? We don't know if she had previous husbands. We, she definitely doesn't have any kids that we can tell. There's no, no one popping up about like trying to get Garrett out the way because of inheritance or something like that. But they kind of just put that out there and, and leave it. So the next scene, Jessica and Grady have gotten to their floor. They're on the 45th floor. I'm like, Oh, so a higher level than the countess and the shake. All right. Serious, serious. And they bump into Sandy or Sandra Clemens, right? 
And Grady is like a 12-year-old boy. He he can't even form a real sentence. And Jessica is being Jessica. And she's like, oh, nice to meet you. Yes, Sandy, I remember you, homecoming third cheerleader from the left. And Sandy's like, oh, you have an excellent memory. And Jessica's like, yeah, no, um, Grady has a picture on his coffee table. And he is embarrassed. He's like, oh, Jessica. He's like, hey. <laughs> I was like, he probably does. <laughs> but he also did just tell her because he clearly has remembered this for however long they've been out of college. Now, I don't know if they graduated college eight years ago and that's why there was maybe a graduation celebration and that's why eight years ago Garrett was visiting Cabot Cove. So if it was, then that means they're about 30 years old, assuming they went straight through and they graduated around 22 years old. So they're 30, 31 years old at this point. Okay, so I just looked up... (laughs) The actual years of birth for the three lead women actress, the ones of a certain age, they are all within a year of each other in real life. So Angela, Janet, and Charlotte, okay, are all within a year of each other. Angela Lansbury was older than Janet Lee by two years. In real life, okay? (laughs) And it looked like, and Charlotte Ray is actually in the middle. So um, Angela Lansbury, Jessica Fletcher, was born in 1925. Charlotte Ray, Nettie Harper, was born in 1926. And Janet Lee. Cornelia Montaigne Harper was born in 1927. Yeah. Whereas Jessica and Nettie look like contemporaries, Cornelia looked older than them. Maybe it was just me. I think the way they dressed her and how overpowering her personality was, I don't I don't know, but she seemed older. When the fact is she was the youngest of the three. Oh my God. <laughs> and then uh, Garrett, uh, John Callahan, but Garrett Harper in this episode, he was born in 1953. Okay. So a good like 20 some odd years. I'm good at math, but honestly, <laughs> so like a real age difference from uh Cornelia and Grady was born in 1952 so yeah they're clearly contemporaries it they're appropriately contemporaries in this episode as well but it just blows my mind that the three older women were within a year, born within a year of each other, maybe even less, right? Depending on the month. And just their appearances on here. Anyway, so we have, (laughs) where were we? So 
Grady is just stunned into silence after seeing Sandy and humana, humana, humana. And Sandy invites herself to dinner. And Grady's like, oh, that would be great. And walks off with a stupid grin on his face. Like he did anything, right? (laughs) Okay, she did all the heavy lifting. So the next scene, we see Sandy and Garrett. Clearly they had something going on. They're This is a plan, her hooking up with, in some form, I don't mean necessarily having sex with Grady, but her, you know, coming on to Grady, reconnecting, okay, trying to start something or make it look like they're starting something is a plan to get Cornelia off of Garrett's back because Cornelia can't find out about this. So it's very vague. They know what they're talking about, but the audience does not as yet. So at 7 p.m., Grady goes to pick up Sandy from her hotel room. And when he goes in, he has flowers. He puts them in what appears to be a vase with water in it. Come to find out she had made martinis and that's what was in there. But not for nothing. Now, Grady is, yeah, we pray for him. But the fact is, like, I would have thought that that was also a vase with water in it to put the flowers. I would not have assumed that it was an alcoholic mixed drink in there. So, you know what, this, it made him look goofy, but it was an honest mistake that I think other people may have made. It may not have been struck because there was alcohol on the table. So even if he smelled it, that doesn't necessarily mean that it was coming from that vase that he put it in. So I'll give him leeway for this. Like I, you know, it made him look a little silly, but I'm like, honestly, eh, it was a, an easily made mistake. But while he was there, Sandra got a phone call that she took. She was kind of rude to the person, but okay. Well, she said, I told you I couldn't deal with this now. So, uh, okay. (laughs) But I'll tell you this. We find out it was her periodontist office. And I'm like, one, they're calling at seven o'clock at night for one. Two, you didn't have to be rude. Okay. Maybe they, the person who was calling did not know that you were going to call back to handle this. They're just trying to do their job. Like, why do you have to be a terrible person to them? You know, like, why you got to catch an attitude? <laughs> and they had your hotel room on on the list. So they knew you were going to be there. You could have let it go to voicemail. Honestly, <laughs> terrible. So the next scene, we're at the restaurant with Garrett, Nettie, and Jessica. And Nettie is just like so excited to be having dinner with Jessica, a real life celebrity. She's never had dinner with a real celebrity before. And we see Cornelia literally skulking around. Now, what I don't understand, right? She has to greet her guest in the dining room. I get that. I get that. I've been to restaurants where the manager comes around and they greet everybody, but you're the hotel owner. Like, don't you have a restaurant manager to do that? 
Okay. Because if you had time to do that, you had time to sit down and at least had a drink, have a drink with your husband, his mother, and his guest. Like, really, you couldn't just sit down and have a glass of wine with them or some water and then go back to greeting people. I I don't understand. Like, again, that's, she just was looking for a reason to be mad. Cornelia, that is. She was looking for a reason to be mad because you are the owner of the hotel. You have delegated jobs to managers to handle this stuff. And I understand there are some things as the owner, there are certain guests of a certain caliber that you need to uh, address and coddle. I understand that. But if you can skulk around the table for a good 20, 30 minutes, you could have sat down there face to face and been part of these conversations And, you know, make googly eyes with your husband to let everybody know that he is yours, you are his, y'all are one, and have a drink with them. Like, honestly, girl, you just want to be mad because this don't make no sense. And costume, you really going to put her in a Bride of Frankenstein, like, collar like that? Really? Make her look vampirous? You know what? (laughs) Y'all ain't have to do her like that. You ain't have to do her like that. Come on now. Anyway, so Grady and Sandy then come up to the table and (laughs) Nettie is terrible. Like not in a bad way, but in she wants all the smoke. She wants to light everything on fire. She came with gasoline. She came with kerosene. She came with lighter fluid. She came with alcohol, everything, and a bunch of matches. Okay. And even an electric lighter. Okay. She came to set stuff on fire. Okay. (laughs) Cause she's like, come, come here, bend down and give an old lady a kiss. And she gives him a kiss on the cheek and a little bit of lip. Okay, there was a little bit of a little bit of the side of the lip she got in there. And so Grady is like, okay. <laughs> she's like, I hope you enjoyed that, because that's the most you'll be getting tonight. And Grady then turns and looks at Sandy, and Sandy kind of rolls her eyes. And <laughs> Nettie know what the deal is. She knows the whole story. Grady does not know he's a pawn in this game as of yet. So so they sit down and Jessica is like, okay, can I see the wine list? So Garrett hands it over to her and she's like, oh my goodness, this is a wonderful wine list. And she's like, you know what? The wine will be on me tonight. That's the least I can do. No questions, you know, no objections. And so Nettie is like, girl, you missing out on the real action here. (laughs) She's like, she's eyeing Cornelia, who's eyeing the table. And she's like, Jesse, she calls her Jesse because they're that familiar, having met two seconds ago. Um, Jesse, you see, she can't even take her eyes off the table since Grady came down with Miss Sis Boomba. (laughs) 
<laughs> oh my goodness, Nettie wants all the smoke. And so <laughs> she's like, oh, there's going to be fireworks tonight. And I love it. <laughs> it's terrible. Oh no, she's terrible. Anyway. <laughs> oh, she's a spicy one. So the next scene we're in, I guess, Garrett and Cornelia's room and they are arguing over Sandy because Cornelia believes that Garrett is having an affair with Sandy because she does not understand why this woman from his past has been staying at the hotel for like nine times since they've gotten married. And so Garrett is like, no, she's just a friend. Just like her and Grady are trying to start something up. But no, no, it's not what you think. There's nothing between us. So we then go to Jessica and Grady's suite. And Jessica's like, yeah, I'm getting ready to go to bed. And Grady's like, oh, you don't want to play cards or something? And Jessica's like, uh, how about you go out? You're young. Listen, I'm an old lady. I'm about to finish reading this book, take me a bath, have some tea and go to sleep. <laughs> so Grady's like, but it's pouring rain outside. And so Jessica is like, well, you have two very good friends right here in the hotel. Go see what they're up to. Bye. Bye. Get out. (laughs) (laughs) Jessica trying to help Grady with his social life again, right? So Grady goes down the hallway to Sandra's room. Her door is ajar. He then goes into the living area. He's calling out for her, doesn't hear anything. Goes to the bedroom door, which is closed. He knocks on that, doesn't get a response. He opens the bedroom door. The He looks around like, okay, she's not here. And then sees her dead on the floor. He then leans over. He barely touches her neck. Okay, barely. If he even made contact, I would be surprised. Okay, and he's like, oh, she's clearly dead. So he goes to pick up the room phone to call the front desk. He calls the front desk. It's ringing. He sees in the full length mirror that Garrett is in the living room and then skedaddles. Okay. Does not say anything. Doesn't go to grab the other phone. Just literally runs out of the room. And Grady is on the phone The operator picks up and is like, hello, hello, hello. And yet again, Grady is dumbstruck. Okay. (laughs) Just stuck on stupid. Oh God, Grady. But uh, apparently he does in fact call the police to report the death. So the next scene, we're still in the room and now there are police there and the hotel detective Who's a jerk? He's a moron where we're not going to spend too much time on him. Thankfully, they didn't spotlight him too much in this episode because like, honestly, ugh, annoying. So he's like, oh, you shouldn't have called the police. I could have handled this. I'm used to dealing with little accidents. 
Jessica is just incensed about this, just like his incompetence. And the thing is, like, the inspector from the NYPD is no better. But we'll get to him in a second. So Garrett comes in and kind of signals Grady outside to the hallway. And Grady is like, why were you in her room earlier today? And then just run out when, you know, without saying anything, like, why were you in there? And Garrett says, well, I was checking to see how things went with you guys. I saw her door open. I came in and I saw you over her body. So I went to run for help. You know, I can't let Cornelia know that I was in the room. She's going to get upset. She's going to get jealous. And it's not worth all of that. Now, my thing is, if, (laughs) if things had worked out, then I really don't think that you should be coming down to either, well, to her room, because obviously he's sharing uh, a suite with his aunt. So he wouldn't be having a good night while his aunt was in the other room. Clearly they were going to be in her room. And if they were in her room having a good night, um, meaning having sex, why are you coming to check on them to see how things went? You would have called the room either got an answer or didn't get an answer and going about your day. What you need to be doing is trying to get it together with your wife. You shouldn't be concerned about how things worked out with Grady and Sandy when your whole wife is out here skulking around and your mom is like, uh, what's wrong with her? She's jealous, this, that, and the other. You had a whole argument with her. How is that going to look for you that you're not, you know, wherever your wife is, trying to be as close to her and in her face as possible so she can regain whatever trust she done lost for whatever reason. But you checking on Sandy? This is not helping your case, Garrett. Anyway, and can we just discuss the the fact that at the time this episode aired, the facts of life was on TV, right? So Charlotte Ray was playing Mrs. Garrett. And then in this episode, her son is Garrett. Yeah, just thought I'd throw that out there. Anyway, so (laughs) back to the show. The inspector comes in. He's can't be bothered because if Cornelia is not there to see him, you know, there, he doesn't care. Jessica is trying to show both him and the hotel detective that this was a murder or at least not an accident, right? That it needs to be investigated. And neither one of them is trying to give her the time of day, which is extremely frustrating. It's not because she's a woman. It's because the the inspector and the house detective are terrible people. They're incompetent. The hotel detective just wants to sit on his behind and not actually do anything. The inspector is looking for fame and just to be in high society, though he has a regular union job, but he wants to have a higher, portray a higher status in society, clearly. So yeah, terrible people. So the next scene, we are in Mark Havlin. So the hotel manager, the real 
manager his room with Jessica. And Mark has taken his phone off the hook. So Jessica had to go to his actual room to knock on the door to wake him up. And so he says, well, yeah, I've been working 24 hours and I finally decided to finally got a chance to get some rest. I slept for about three hours. I took the phone off the hook. Um, you know, don't tell Cornelia. She thinks I'm invincible. He then takes off his, uh, old boutonniere, you know, flower and puts on a fresh one and goes out with Jessica to see what's going on. So, Jessica and Grady are speaking. I think they're in their room at this point. And Grady says that um, when he had gone up there earlier to pick her up for dinner, she wrote a phone number on an envelope and he told the police, but the police didn't find an envelope. And so Jessica's like, oh, well, whoever she calls, it might be important. Um, and then Jessica starts to wonder, she's like, you said she was a computer operator, right? And he's like, yeah. And Jessica's like, well, how is she a computer operator, but she's able to afford to stay at the Montaigne? And Grady brings up a good point. He's like the same way I am. Gary picks up Garrett is picking up the tab, I would assume, but as an aside, that wouldn't look good, especially if Cornelia is super jealous of Sandra that you couldn't cover her bill. You couldn't. But of course, Jessica nor Grady know this at this point. So the next scene, we're in the lobby and Jessica is speaking with Mark again. And Jessica says, well, you know, um, I, I would like to do something for Sandy, you know, or her family or whatever. If there's any trouble paying her bill, I, I'd be willing to cover it. And Mark is like, yeah, you can stop. You can put the fishing pole away. I don't know about her finances or how she afforded to stay here nine times since early last year. She's always paid by credit card without any issue. But who knows who pays her credit card bill? True. Because the thing is, Garrett could not comp her a room all of these times without Cornelia completely feeling justified that he was having an affair with her. So the next scene, Jessica is in the hallway and she's heading towards Nettie's room. Uh, Food service is taking the food tray out of her room and left the door completely open, which I'm like, really? At this fancy hotel, he couldn't go. Anyway, so Jessica is standing at the door and maybe that's why he didn't go to close it. But I'm like, you don't know who this lady is that's standing at this open door of another guest. You didn't go and like, oh, excuse me, I have to close the door. And then Jessica would have to explain But no, you just continue to walk away. Okay, that's terrible. He should be fired because that's just unacceptable in this level of hotel. And when we find out how much it is per night for their suites, you'll understand why this is extremely unacceptable and he should be fired immediately. So (laughs) not in real life, but in real life. Um, So Jessica's standing at the open door Nettie has her back to the door and she is on the phone with Garrett. 
And she's like, it doesn't matter however it happened. It's a stroke of luck. Now you really can divorce Cornelia. So Jessica clears her throat and Nettie turns around and sees her and she's like, oh, I have to call you back. I have to call you back and hangs up the phone. It's like, oh, hey, Jessica, how are you? Come in. Ah, yes. So Jessica's like, oh, I came to pay my condolences. And Nettie is like, I, Gary and I, Garrett, and I didn't really know her. So yeah. And Jessica's like, oh, that's odd because she stayed here rather regularly. And Nettie's like, oh, we haven't seen her since they were in Purdue together. So now we know that Grady, Garrett, and Sandra went to Purdue University together for college. And Nettie is like, she changes the script because like I said, she wants all of the smoke, okay? So she's like, oh, I'm really just sorry for Grady. You know, he really, anyone could see how he felt about her and then to be found over her dead body. Like, I'm sure he'll get off because I don't think there's a lick of evidence. Now you can see that Jessica's back gets up by the implications that Nettie's making. And Nettie knows exactly what she's doing. Because like I said, she wants the smoke. Okay, (laughs) but she better be careful because if her or Garrett are the ones who killed Sandra, you don't want Jessica pissed off at you, okay? Because she will find out about it and you won't be luxuriating in your daughter-in-law, question marks, hotel, eating expensive chocolates, okay? You'll be in jail, okay? (laughs) You don't want all the smoke for real, for real. So the next scene, Garrett and Grady are having lunch outside or drinks. It looks like they just have drinks outside of the hotel. And we find out from Garrett that after college, he and Sandy dated and he gave her a bracelet that was engraved and he needs to get it back because if Cornelia finds out about this, she's going to be so upset and he and she may leave him. So Grady is like, yeah, I'm not going to do that. The room is sealed by the police. There's an investigation going on. And Garrett is like, well, you know, I did stuff for you. Like back in college, I dragged you out of that bar when those three Ohio State guys were going to put you, make you into a pretzel. Are you kidding me that you think that you helping him out, What whether that story is true or not, okay, whether you literally dragged him out, whether whatever, okay? That does not equate to him breaking into a sealed crime scene and taking evidence, okay? No, all right, when he's already a suspect in a homicide, are you kidding me that that's not, that's not equivalent? It's not. And unfortunately, Grady doesn't have the sense that God gave him to be like, that's not equivalent. Okay, I appreciate you comping the room, but that does not include me committing a crime. Are you kidding me? 
Uh, anyway, so he would have us to believe, right, that his wife, now we don't know how long they were dating. We just know that they've been married since early last year. That, and when were they dating? You know what I mean? Because she's always busy. When were they dating? And when did they get married? Did they have a honeymoon? Like, I don't understand. Like, if she's super busy, how did that even happen? Anyway, so they, yeah. So you would have us to believe that this woman would be so upset That before you met her, okay, years, years, years before you met her, you were in a relationship with, oh my God, somebody else? That you had feelings for somebody else? That you gave them a gift because you love them before you met Cornelia, like, I understand that he's significantly younger than her, but he had a life. He was a person for many years, for decades, actually, for decades before he met her. So you're saying that she would be so jealous that back then you had a relationship with her and you gave her this bracelet? That she would leave you now? The only reason that she would do that under those circumstances is if you were actively having an affair with this woman, which it looks like because she stayed at that hotel nine times since you got married. So perhaps if you have been honest Because I don't understand what Garrett's problem is, that he thinks that the fact that he had relationships before he met Cornelia, that he should not have disclosed any of this to her before they got married. So you're telling me that somehow, someway y'all dated for some period of time, right? Some period of time. And either she never asked you If you had previous relationships or you lied to her, which doesn't make sense because they existed before her. And if you had been honest from jump, we wouldn't be in this situation. But we'll get to that at the end. So Grady, again, doesn't have the sense that God gave him, is convinced to do this. That being get the bracelet out of the robe of Sandy that's in her sealed crime scene room. Side note, uh, how does Garrett know where the bracelet is if he's not having an affair with her? How, how would he know that? It's in the left pocket of her bathrobe. Yeah, yeah, okay. He's definitely sleeping with her. Like, point blank, period. Like, we'll find out some other stuff, but there's no reason that he should know that. Why were you in her room when she would have had the bracelet on and then taken it off while in a robe? Okay, 
Yeah. I don't like that at all. And if I was your wife, I would have an issue with that. You had a previous relationship with her. And I understand like, okay, feelings have ended. I've moved on. I love you. Okay. You should not be in a situation where you're in her room while she is in a robe and it's taking off her jewelry. Okay. Yeah. I got a problem with that, Garrett. And of course, Grady is caught by the hotel detective because he, Grady, bless his heart. He just, oh God, we, yeah. Anyway, so the next scene, we're in the lobby and Jessica has gotten word that, that Grady has been arrested, having been found at the murder scene, taking evidence Which, side note, why had the room not been searched? Like, he's taking evidence that wasn't recovered by the police. So, is it really evidence? (laughs) It is. But, like, is it his fault that the police and the hotel security staff are incompetent? I don't think it's really his fault. Um... But they arrest him. So Jessica is rushing out to go get him out of jail. And she bumps into Cornelia. And um, we find out that Jessica has no time for this. She basically tells Cornelia, you know that your husband is behind this and convince Grady to do this. Grady was not the only, bless his heart, he was trying to help a friend. And sometimes loyalty outweighs common sense. That's the truth. Um, especially for Grady. And so Cornelia is like, yes, I, I realized that. I've had Mark, the hotel manager, investigating Sandy for weeks, but he found nothing. And that she's just really upset with herself that she's been so jealous. But this bracelet kind of confirms what she was thinking. And I'm like, yeah, it confirms that he, that your husband was hiding his previous relationship, meaning that you didn't know the nature of his current relationship with Sandra, which he was wrong for that. He really was wrong for that. And it's nonsensical why he wasn't truthful from the beginning. Anyway, so Jessica is like, well, I'm going down to the police station to talk to Inspector Methaneny and get Grady out of jail. And Cornelia was like, well, if you're looking for Methaneny, he is not at the police station So apparently he was at an art exhibit because again, he is trying to be high society um, on his off time on time because he surely should have been at the police precinct when a murder suspect has been arrested on the scene trying to remove evidence. But you know what? He had to go to this art exhibit and then he has a nerve to be like, oh, to Jessica. Oh, I didn't know you were invited. She's like, what? I'm important. Like, I don't understand. (laughs) 
How do you not know? You're supposed to be on high society and stuff. You don't know who Jessica Beatrice Fletcher is. You don't know that she is an important celebrity in her own right. We are in season four. Okay, season four. Okay, she has solved homicides in New York City. Okay, so I don't understand how you, inspector, don't know who she is. Put some respect on her name. Of course, she has access to this art exhibit because she is an actual factual celebrity, which you are not. Anyway, so Jessica confronts the inspector on a straight up stage whisper conversation to force him to actually do what his job Okay. She's like, you're not even investigating this. Like, what are you doing? Like nothing. And so the inspector was like, oh, well, uh, a man with Garrett Harper's money would never get such a cheap bracelet for a woman. And Jessica's like, uh, if you spent any time actually looking into any of these people, you would know that Garrett didn't always have money. And I'm like, you're real stupid because like, Clearly, he is a sugar baby for Cornelia. She's the one who has the money and the name. Why would you assume that Garrett had money? And they've only been married for like a year. So like, why would you assume Garrett had money? And why would you assume that he didn't have a life beforehand? Uh, these people, He is, woo. Okay, anyway. So the next scene, we are back in Jessica and Grady's room and Jessica is like, cause she has now gotten him out of jail because she forced the inspector to do his job. And so Jessica is like, why did you do this Grady? And he's like, oh, I was helping a friend. You know, he wanted to spare his wife's feelings. You know, I just wanted to repay all that he's done for me. And Jessica is like, other than comping this room in his wife's hotel, what has he done for you? And, you know, Grady's like, well, he was very supportive when we found Sandy's body. And Jessica is like, (laughs) He was there when you found Sandy's body. He was in the room. Did you, why didn't you tell the police? And Grady knows not only that he was wrong. Now he's realizing he's wrong. He also is embarrassed because he has disappointed his aunt. And so he, he leaves right? He's like, I'm going to go for a walk. And Jessica's like, you have to tell the police. And he's like, I'm going for a walk. And he leaves because he did not know how to come back from that because he was embarrassed. He's probably ashamed that he did not realize what he was doing was wrong. And he sensed that he had disappointed his aunt and he has such great love and respect for her that that probably hit him the hardest and he needed time to walk through his thoughts and calm down because he was so upset. Like that's what I got from it. So the next scene, we're in the inspector's office. What? He's actually doing his job? Oh, 
crazy. Never thought we'd see that. And he's speaking with Jessica. He has gotten back the bank records for Sandy. And it appears that she's received $25,000 multiple times over the last year or so. And so Jessica is like, ah, looks like blackmail. (laughs) So (laughs) the inspector is like, exactly, but we don't know who or why. And so Jessica is like, how long would it take to get a printout of all of her stays at the Montaigne? And the inspector who had actually done his job was like, actually, I already ordered those and I believe it came in this morning. So he gets up, he gets it off the fax machine and they look at it and it appears that the deposits and the checks, all of the dates match. So they all started shortly after Garrett married Cornelia. So looking like Sandra was blackmailing Garrett, okay? And she would come stay at the hotel to get her $25,000 payment on whatever basis that was. So yeah, let's take a look at Garrett. So Jessica knows that they're not going to get an answer out of Garrett. So she goes to Mrs. Garrett, psych, uh, Nettie. (laughs) Yes. And Jessica brings up the conversation that she overheard. And Nettie is like, that was for Gary's ears only. And Jessica is like, well, the only reason that Garrett could not divorce Cornelia is if they weren't legally married. And the only reason they wouldn't legally be married is if he was married to someone else. And so at this point, Nettie is like, you don't know how costly that secret has been. And so Jessica says, so Sandy was your daughter-in-law. And Nettie says, Garrett was foolish. He was so very foolish. Sandy carried that marriage license in her purse, Epiphany, and waved it under Garrett's nose until the day she died. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Now, if Nettie didn't kill her, uh, she didn't. But uh, yeah, I could, I'd believe it. I'd believe it, you know. But she would be too obvious of a suspect if she did kill Sandra. But she would justify it, I'm sure. I think that would have been an interesting thing if it had turned out to be Nettie who killed Sandra. And yeah, I think that would have been a good angle. Because it made sense, right? And she could just justify it as like, oh, I'm an old lady. I didn't know what I was doing. Now, would that work? I don't think so. But hey, hey, maybe it would. (laughs) So Jessica then goes and tells Grady the truth about the fact that Garrett and Sandy were married and that Sandy was blackmailing Garrett and that... Um, Nettie believed that once Sandra was dead, that that would nullify 
their marriage, Sandra and Garrett, and make Garrett and Cornelia's marriage official. (laughs) And Grady was like, that doesn't make sense. (laughs) Jessica's like, no, it doesn't. But that's what she believed. So Grady is like, uh, so that would mean that she would be a good suspect, which we all agree. She, she wouldn't make a good suspect if she believed that at what she did that, uh, Sandra once dead would make Cornelia and Garrett's marriage legal, which is not at all how it works. So the next scene, we have Cornelia on the roof of the hotel and Garrett comes up and he is like, oh, I knew you would be up here. This is where you come to think. And she's like, I came here to be alone. Get away from me. And Garrett, seeing his financial security slipping away, um, has to now tell some version of the truth. And he says that he was done with Sandra years ago. Cornelia's like, I don't care, leave. Because the fact is, you should have told me about this when we got together. Especially when before we got married, I would not have held that against you. Then she could not have blackmailed you because then we could have forced her to get a divorce. Okay? Yeah. I have money, 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 money. So we could have hired uh, the right attorney to either get an annulment because I don't know what the situation was when they got married. Maybe they could have gotten an annulment or could have just buried her in court papers to get her to sign off on the divorce and disappear into the ether. Like, why didn't you tell her from the beginning? Ugh. So Garrett says he didn't want to lose her, which doesn't make sense. The reason you risked losing her is because you did not tell her the truth, which then resulted in you having to actively lie, which opened you to being blackmailed. So then now you have to pay the blackmailer so that she doesn't expose the fact that you are not legally married to Cornelia because you're married to Sandra from years ago that you never bothered to divorce her. Like, why didn't you bother to divorce her? Like, what? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) It wasn't even like you said, I was trying to divorce her for years and I submitted the paperwork. I thought we were divorced. No, that wasn't the story. Um, You didn't even try to divorce her. So that couldn't be the story. There's no reason why y'all were still married and you didn't say anything to Cornelia before you two quote unquote got married. Like there's no reason she was in your past. Oh, God. So Garrett is like, well, now she's dead. So (laughs) we have a chance to really make a go of this and actually get married and, you know, grow together. And Cornelia is like, no, you love my money. I know what this is. 
And Garrett is like, no, you know what? You're, you don't want to walk away from the money and the power. Like, I just want to go someplace upstate and we can just be together and just walk away from all of this. Um, how y'all supposed to pay bills if ain't nobody working? Okay. (laughs) What? No. Now it would be different if you said you have managers here, leave the responsibilities. You don't like to delegate stuff. If you delegated it for real, then we could have a life together, you know, and we don't have to worry about finances because the hotel will take care of that but we can focus on each other, you know, and because I don't care about the status. Now, don't lie and say you don't care about the money because you need money to live. Now, you may not care about the wealth and the fame and the the power and stuff like that, but you surely want to eat three times a day, okay? You want to be fully clothed, okay? <laughs> you want heat in the winter and air conditioning in the summer. You want running water, Okay. You want all of your utilities paid, okay? Let's not kid anybody. So the next scene, Garrett is now coming down off of the elevator and he meets up with the hotel detective and he gives him $5,000 to remember something that will pin Sandra's murder on Grady. Now, the detective agrees to do that, but Grady is around the corner and hears everything. And he finally stands up to Garrett and is like, I'm done with this. How dare you use me? Um, You're a terrible person. Like, you know, years ago, I may have taken a murder rap for you, but I'm not too bright. So I guess that's going to be a problem now. And he walks off because this is your good friend. Now you brought him into your life. You brought him into your family. This is Grady bringing in Garrett, brought him into your family. You know, his mother, you've met his wife. You know what I mean? Like, so that being Cornelia, he didn't know about Sandra, but still they were clearly close friends. So your close friend, you're willing to pin a murder rap on him when he did not do it. Neither did you. Why would you want to do that? Like you, you can miss me with trying to protect Cornelia's feelings. That's not it. There is something else to this that I'm not going to try to suss out, but you're a terrible person. You didn't even think twice about throwing Grady under the bus for murder, okay? Not a fraternity prank that went sideways, but nobody was really injured. Like, this woman is dead. Now, you didn't do it, but that's not looking good for you when you're trying to pin it on your best friend. Someone who did not judge you when you got with Cornelia someone who still was willing to help you out with the whole bracelet situation and you're gonna throw him under the bus and try to get him more, try to put more evidence on him so he'll be arrested again or even worse, convicted for a murder that he didn't commit? Like, what is wrong with you? 
that is beyond that that's that's beyond trying to protect somebody's feelings that's evil point blank period so Grady then goes back to the room and Jessica's in there and he apologizes for how he acted earlier Jessica is like listen whenever we can't have uh an an argument um then I'm going to start to wonder where I went wrong, right? So she understands. And I'm sure she knows that he was embarrassed and ashamed. And that's why he left. So she, being the person that she is, she's like, all right, now I accept your apology. Because he needed to apologize because he did act like a child. It was understandable. And better that he did leave the situation than say something that he really didn't mean and could not take back. So he acted appropriately the way he was feeling, but I appreciate that he realized that it was disrespectful to his aunt, the way he spoke to her. And he had his back to her as well, which is also disrespectful that he apologized and he truly meant it. And she understood And she's the type of person that will let that go. She's not going to bring that up three episodes from now. Okay. (laughs) So I, I appreciate that they did have him man up and apologize for his behavior. So I, I do appreciate that. So as Jessica and Grady are going out to dinner, um, the turndown service, uh, comes in the maid, uh, well, it's not really the cleaning service, but the hotel maid comes in to put a fresh flower and chocolates and to turn down the beds. And Jessica has an epiphany. So the next scene, Jessica is in Mark's room, I believe. And so she's telling him that Cornelia, she was just in Cornelia's room and that Cornelia believes that Mark worked with Garrett to get Sandy in the hotel. And Mark is like, of course he would try to drag somebody else in to his mess. And Jessica says, well, he also said that you were the main person who helped rekindle their relationship. And so Mark says, well, did he also tell her that they were married And Jessica says, no, of course not. She was his mistress, not his wife. To which Mark says, they were married. I believe they got married on June 20th. And I've been investigating her for weeks now. So I know for sure. And Jessica's like, why didn't you tell Cornelia? And Mark says, well, Cornelia is very high strung. And I think this would have been too much for her. And so Jessica is like, yeah, so I don't believe you. Like, I can't believe that. And you didn't tell Cornelia, like you just making up stories. And so Mark then says, would a copy of their marriage certificate be enough proof? So he then goes into his hotel room safe and produces a marriage certificate which was also referred to as a marriage license. So 
he has it in an envelope. He says that he got it just this morning, right? Mind you, it's a blank white envelope that it's in. It happens to have a phone number written on the top. So Jessica says, no, this didn't come this morning. You took this from Sandra's purse when you killed her. And the reason I know that this is the license that Sandra was carrying around because my nephew Grady saw her scribble down a phone number on the envelope, right? So Jessica says, you didn't tell the police about this or anything because you were going to use this marriage certificate to blackmail Gary yourself. So she then says, this is how I know that, because I believe he says, well, I was asleep. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. I was asleep. Jessica says, well, when I came down to your room, the clock read 10.30 p.m. You said you were asleep for three hours. Had you been asleep since 7.30, then the 8 p.m. turndown service would not have come into your room, turned down your bed, put fresh chocolates and a fresh flower in there if you were asleep. So it... You couldn't have been there because there was definitely a fresh flower and chocolates on your nightstand. So, yeah. So Mark then admits that he never got a raise in all these years and all the stuff that he did. He found out about the marriage when he was asked to investigate and he thought he had finally found his golden goose. So he went to Sandra's room to ask her for 50% of what she was getting from Garrett, to which she says, no, there was a tussle. He then pushes her. She falls and ends up hitting her head on the bottom of the dresser. And she's knocked, not unconscious or knocked out. He then grabs a pillow and proceeds to smother her to death. Like the hit on the head was not what killed her. So it wasn't like in we're off to kill the wizard where there was a tussle. He fell back and hit his head on the side of that God awful statue and died. That wasn't how this happened. She was still alive when she hit her head. So he then smothered her with the pillow and that's why there was makeup on the pillow, but the rest of the bed had not looked slept in. So at that point, the police come in and Mark is arrested. Now, before we get to the final scene, what's messed up about this is that You, Cornelia, never gave this man a raise? Like, he's busting his behind. And he is at your beck and call. Like, he said he he didn't even, he said he was working 24 hours straight. Okay, he's cleaning up messes that Garrett has made because you lack communication skills. 
and probably didn't train him how to use the systems and what to look for because why would you? So he has taken on a lot of responsibilities and you did not give him a raise. And when you asked, when he asked for a raise, you like changed the subject. That's outrageous. So you had time, right, in your busy schedule to meet a man, date a man for whatever. It could have been a day for all we know. You got married to him. You make him a manager and you still, so now he's on payroll and you still can't give this man a raise? Not for nothing. I would have been trying to blackmail too. But don't blackmail because then your victim could murder you because we, we saw that happen. But <laughs> yikes. But the thing is, why didn't Mark just cut Sandra out and go straight to Garrett and blackmail him? You know what I mean? Like... He could have went to Sandra and got the information or in his research, like, didn't he find out the information about them being married? So he could have ordered a copy of their marriage certificate, paid whatever fee there was, especially back in 1987. You could get anybody's information. (laughs) There weren't as many privacy checks as there are now. He could have actually ordered the marriage license or marriage certificate, whatever you want to call it, and had his own copy, own certified copy, and blackmailed Garrett for his own $25,000 a month or whatever. Like, why did you have to get Sandy involved to get half of that? No, sir. You get your own lot. And keep her out of it. She don't need to know that he's being blackmailed by two people. You're getting too many people involved. Now you end up having to murder her and now you get nothing. Man, listen, you were so good at your job. But the fact is, all he had to do, right? Not on the illegal tip. We're not talking about blackmail or anything like that. All he needed to do to get a raise was quit, or threaten to quit and either go to another high-end hotel, which he definitely would have had the credentials to do, right? Or Cornelia would have been like, oh my God, I cannot lose my right-hand man. What do I need to do to keep you? Just because you didn't know how to negotiate a raise and do what you needed to do to get a raise, now you're out here murdering people? Like, that's not the answer. Quit! Like, quit and get another job. And the, like, you had the credentials to get into another hotel in a high ranking position, probably a higher title than you were at, making more money, or you would have forced Cornelia's hand. I should not have to tell you this, but it's too late because now you have murdered somebody and you're going to prison. So there's that. Even though it would have made more sense, two things. One, for him to just straight up blackmail Garrett himself, okay, and not deal with Sandy at all. Or two, well, and two, for it to have been Nettie who murdered Sandra. That would have made more sense. 
Cause Garrett wasn't going to do it. He, he don't, he'd just be leaving out pertinent information and lying for no good reason, just making things more difficult. So he definitely wouldn't have thought to murder her, but his mama might've, that would have made sense. But anyway, so the final scene, Jessica and Grady are checking out Cornelia and Garrett come up and they're like, Oh, we're going to give this a, another try. We're going to start fresh. They're going to legitimately get married. And Garrett has the nerve to ask Grady to be his best man. And he's like, excuse me. Oh, no, I'm going to be busy that day. And so Garrett is like, I didn't tell you what day it was. He's like, yeah, I know. And so Jessica's like, oh, okay. All right. Grady is a little sassy now. (laughs) He got a little confidence. And so they get the bill And Garrett is like, Nancy, I'll take care of it. Don't worry about it. And Grady's like, no, I I got it. I'm fine. He looks, he's like $2,500 for two nights in a hotel and a lousy meal. And so the receptionist is like, oh, I'm sorry. There's been a mistake. We forgot to put your restaurant tab on there. Now, Now, everyone's looking shocked and everything like that. But my thing is, one, why would he be paying for the restaurant tab when Garrett took them to dinner, right? And I don't even think him and Jessica made it to their dinner appointment when she got the um, turn down service epiphany. Right. And actually, no, they weren't even having dinner in the hotel that night that they they were going out because she said, oh, it's a bit of a walk. So let's go ahead and and start out now. So the only dinner they had at the hotel was the one that Garrett um, had set up for them with his mother. Because, yeah, Grady definitely shouldn't be paying for that now. Going back to the fact that (laughs) the food service person left Nettie's door just wide open when he was taking out the meal service. Um, If I'm paying, well, she's not, but if the room is valued at $1,250 US a night, you better make sure my door is closed, that there's no random people in the hallway looking at my door, that no one's listening to my telephone conversations, that my bed is turned down, that there are no blackmailers. <laughs> what? Like, you have got to be kidding me. If I'm paying $200 a night, you better not leave my door open like that for just randos to be standing in the doorway. And you don't come back to close it. Like, excuse me, ma'am, I got to close this door. That room is too much per night for you to just walk up out of there and leave that door open. That's outrageous because the woman was on the phone. So it wasn't even like she could go behind you and close the door. Are you serious? Now, that really shouldn't upset me, but that was really just outrageous. (laughs) For $1,250 a night? That's why I said he should have been immediately fired because if I, if she was paying that type of money, not being comped, but whatever, it's still the amount of the room. 
I would be like, uh, no, he didn't just leave my door open while I am on the phone with my back to the door. Anybody could have came in here, robbed the place, could have assaulted me, anything. Eavesdropped on my phone call, which is exactly what happened. What? No, he needs to be fired. And I clearly need additional free stuff because this is inappropriate and <laughs> just unforgivable. Anyway. So that's that on that. Okay. Um, just a lot of nonsensical stuff. <laughs> no, but a good episode overall. So yeah. Um, Garrett is a terrible person. Um, his mother is a hoot. Okay. She's not my favorite character. Um, actually, 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 yes. Okay. Yes. I, I did. She, she wanted so much smoke, even with her trying to imply that Grady did kill Sandra, but would probably get off because there wasn't enough evidence. Now I wasn't cool with that, but I understood what she was doing and that was right in line with her character. So actually she, yeah, yeah, I did. I did like her more than I, I realized. Cornelia is a terrible person. She is now, um, not as terrible as Garrett, I think that Garrett gave her sufficient reason to be jealous and to be upset. Okay, definitely. Because he lied from the beginning. Because also, also the attorney in me is coming up. And this means that in New York State, right? And I'm sure back then as well. You had to state on your marriage license application if you were previously married or if you, because clearly he was currently married. He was previously married because he's still married. He would have had to lie on that documentation. Take him to jail. Okay. (laughs) So you lied on document in order to keep the fact that you fail to tell someone that you were, that you wanted to marry about something in the past that you were too lazy to take care of. So you lied on New York state documentation that was filed and made records of New York state. How y'all just acting like y'all could just go and get married legitimately now. Cause you can't. All right. There is not just oh, now we can really get married. How are you getting a new marriage license? There's going to be questions for you to answer about what's already on file. And oh, he lied. Okay, so that's fraudulent. So you're not actually married. Um, I think there's some police that have some questions for you for filing these fraudulent documents. Now, is he going to jail? I don't know what his record is. Probably not. But there's definitely going to be some questions going on. So how do you think that you just going to get married? It just, okay, it, we just starting all over again. What? That's not how this works. That's not how any of this works. But whatever. 
we don't ever see these people again. Great. Okay. (laughs) Although it would have been cool to see Nettie again, not for nothing, but the rest of them kick rocks. I'm glad. Bye. Bye Cornelia. Bye Garrett. Gary, whatever. Bye Mark. Bye. Bye Sheik. Bye Countess. Goodbye. Okay. (laughs) Anyway, that's that on that. Um, an episode that I can sit and watch more than once, not in a row though, not, not in a row. Um, but some terrible people, but there was Nettie Harper, better known as Charlotte Ray, giving us some spice and some drama and playing her character to a T, a capital T. So that being that on that, (laughs) Our next episode will be Who Threw the Barbital in Mrs. Fletcher's Chowder. Now, I will tell you this. It's one of my favorite episodes. Okay, it's one of my favorite episodes. Um, It does have, okay, it does involve domestic violence. So we it will be discussed, but we're going to try to keep it as light as possible for the rest of it. It's not as heavy as Native American Giver from last time um, at all. So it's not as jarring, but there's definitely the essence of DV going on. But we're going to keep it cute. We're going to keep it light as much as possible because like I said, it's one of my faves. But I will tell you this, that for years... For years, I thought it was who threw the barbiturates <laughs> in Mrs. Fletcher's chowder. Now, there's too many letters in barbiturates. <laughs> For, I have no idea why I thought that's what it said. For years. But thank you <laughs> to Cabot Cove Confidential um, for... <laughs> For saying the name properly. (laughs) And that was honestly when I listened to it when they first put that episode out. I was like, oh my God, it is (laughs) Barbatals. Besides the fact that that's what they call it in the actual episode, what he's taking. Oh my God. So yeah, have a good laugh off of me and my just (laughs) adding letters to words. Um, You know, anyway, so... (laughs) Thank you for getting through this review with me and my congestion. (laughs) Next time I will sound more like myself, but I really wanted to talk about this episode. I really enjoyed it and I really wanted to get it out to you guys because I know you were waiting for it because, oh, Nettie Harper for you. Uh, (laughs) But no, so next time, who threw the barbitals in Mrs. Fletcher's chowder. Until then, you can find me on Instagram at the Fletcher Files Pod on Instagram, on Facebook, Meta. <laughs> I think we're, st- whatever. At the Fletcher Files Pod page on Facebook. And of course, there is a link in the description box for my Patreon, the Fletcher Files Pod on Patreon, 
But until next time, promise me that you will have an amazing two weeks. Enjoy the weather as much as you can, as crazy as it is sometimes. Enjoy the sunshine and the warmth. And we will meet again two Sundays from now. Because next week is Father's Day. So happy Father's Day to all the fathers and father figures out there. I will be back with you the week after that with the next episode (laughs) on Sunday at 5 p.m. Who threw the barbitals in Mrs. Fletcher's chowder? We'll find out. They actually do answer that question. So that's that's helpful because sometimes they don't. (laughs) Until then, have an amazing two weeks. And I promise I'll do the same. Bye.